0: Welcome to The Podlight. I'm Joseph Jiha, senior reporter at San Jose Spotlight and co-host of The Podlight, a podcast produced by San Jose Spotlight. Today, we're discussing what should be done with two soon-to-be-vacant seats on the San Jose City Council. Council member Sylvia Arenas in District 8 and Matt Mahan in District 10 will be leaving their seats halfway through their four-year terms to take on new roles. Mahan, of course, is taking over as mayor of San Jose in January, while Arenas will serve as county supervisor. And now a fight is brewing over how to fill those seats. Some, such as Mahan, want to hold a special election, costing up to $10 million, but giving the people the ability to choose their representative, while others, like Arenas, want the council to appoint a successor, which would be quicker but exclude voter input. Here to break down both sides of the debate are Bill James and Pat Waite. James is the chair of the Santa Clara County Democratic Party and strongly favors an appointment process. Waite is a longtime District A leader, a former council candidate, and head of the Citizens for Fiscal Responsibility Group, and he favors a special election. Let's start with you, Pat. Welcome to the Podlight. Thanks for joining us today.
1: Thanks. It's my pleasure to be here.
0: So uh, let's go to the opening question. If you can, you know, in brief, why do you favor a a special election? What what kind of benefits would that provide?
1: Well, you know, this really isn't a short answer question. uh, And so I'm probably going to ramble a little bit. But uh, look at Article 2, Section 1 of the California Constitution. It reads, all political power is inherent in the people. I believe that the appointment process violates this, removing the political power from we voters and placing it in the hands of the city council. This is not just wrong, it is a violation of the oaths of office where they swear to support and defend the constitution of the United States and the constitution of the state of California. Each district in our city has a unique ethnic and socioeconomic makeup and unique needs. What is right for district three, for instance, may not be what's best for District 8. Only residents know what they need and are guaranteed the right to have their voices heard via an election. Finally, the appointment process is less transparent than an election, and transparency is important. During elections, candidates and special interests have to report uh, donations and expenditures so that voters can see who's behind what. There is no such requirement for the appointment process it's going to be hard to determine who is promising what benefit or reward to whom.
0: Interesting, and 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 so in terms of you know just the basic idea, I think a lot of people in you know American society would pro- you know at large would probably agree that residents should get to choose their city council members, right? That's kind of a, a basic understanding. You choose your representatives locally and nationally. Uh, but is it worth, in this, in this case, the high cost? The city has estimated um, early on that it could cost between $7 million and uh, $10 million to elect, uh, you know, to hold a special election for these two seats. And, and that would, uh, the seat wouldn't be able to be filled any earlier than roughly May of next year. So it would be that amount of money for effectively a one and a half year long term. So, I mean, in your view, why is that worth it?
1: Uh, how do you put a value on democracy? I mean, that, that what we're talking about is what's the cost of democracy. That's the cost of protecting our right to elect our own representatives. The question, though, is really about value. What is the value of voting? You cannot put a cap or on the cost of preserving our rights to select our representatives. A very valuable part of elections is that they foster dialogue between voters and candidates. Matt Mayhan, for instance knocked on over 10,000 doors and held countless small gatherings one of them with my daughters where he talked with hundreds of residents there is real two-way value in that process that that you can't put a value on
0: mhm and and just kind of looking at another question I wanted to ask you is you know it not to point out any not to try and uh, make it about irony or anything but the group you head up is called Citizens for Fiscal Responsibility so certainly the cost of democracy is, yeah, probably hard to put a pin on. Um, but uh, is it ironic that you that you head up a group called Citizens for Fiscal Responsibility, but are taking the opposing position here and, and hoping the city will spend, you know, what is quite a large amount of money, even for a big city, um, for this election? I mean, do you think it could be spent on other things that most voters care about on their day to day lives, like urgent needs, like road service and library hours, and you know, maybe more cops?
1: Well, you know, those are all things that the city ought to be working on. CFR refers to those as core services. We need the must-haves before investing in the nice-to-haves. We need to focus the city on core service spending. What is more core and must-have than protecting our voting rights? We're talking about 3 to $5 million a year for this year and the next. That's out of a city budget approaching $6 billion. I suspect that if the council takes the time to look hard, They can find the funds. The issue is the council historically just looks at gaps, right? As part of the budget process, the city manager gives them a forecast and it's either in balance or it has a deficit or a surplus. They don't look at the whole pie. They look at that gap. So 90-some-odd percent of city spending is on autopilot. I suspect that there's enough in there that if they look hard, they'll find it.
0: Okay. So bottom line for you is this is where things need to start before any other money uh, can be spent or should be spent. Uh, you know, this is a key process that needs to be um, worked out properly with a, with a proper election uh, before anything else can go forward, basically. Absolutely. Okay. Well, thanks for addressing that. Um, let, let's talk about voter turnout. So in the midterm election we just had in November, right, we saw, I, I think the, the election hasn't been certified yet, but we're pretty close to reaching that um, and we're, we're hovering around 55% turnout, um, which, of course, is kind of, uh, you know, they tend to be lower in non-presidential election years, in a midterm. And so we saw, on average, uh, about sixteen to 18,000 people voting in these um, San Jose City Council district races that we had in the November election. Um, so using the same math, if we are expecting turnout, which in, in special elections, according to the city, hovers between 20 and 30%, we might only see 10,000 people or so voting in each district for these two seats, and that's kind of on the higher end. So you might have about 20,000 people or less, um, you know, spending, you know, and the city is going to be spending seven to ten million dollars uh, to have those people vote. Maybe something around three hundred and fifty dollars per voter. But are we going to be, in effect, by holding a special election where there's going to be very low turnout? Are we going to be allowing just a smaller group of highly motivated voters choose their next council member and kind of leave out the voices of the broader masses who might vote in a midterm or a, or a presidential election?
1: As opposed to 11 people selecting the, the council people, I, I would much rather have 10,000 residents of my district determine who's going to represent me, even for a year and a half, than 11 people, only one of whom lives in my district. Um... And the turnout argument is really a slippery slope. Where do you draw the line? Does the low voter turnout in primaries invalidate the primary results? I don't think so. But, you know, for instance, uh, Magdalena-Carrasco, twice won outright in District 5 primaries. There were 8,200 votes in 2014 and about 10,000 in 2018. And I don't think there's any question of the legitimacy of her victory. So why would there be a question about the legitimacy of candidates who win a special
0: election? Absolutely. And just to just to clarify what you're referring to with 11 people, you're referring to the 10 district council members and the mayor who represent the 11 council members who would pick in an appointment process. Correct. That is correct. Okay, got it. All right. Well, thank you for for addressing that. Um, One other question I think we have is, you know, even if we have uh, a special election or if the city chooses to go with the appointment route, Either way, like we said, the, these people who end up in these two seats are going to serve maximum a two-year term, but closer if it's an election, closer to a year and a half. But incumbents in general in, in uh, local elections and and uh, even state seats have an easier time getting reelected. So whether we go with the appointment or the special election, are you concerned that those who take the seats could end up serving much longer than the, just the remaining term? Or, or is that not a problem in your view? Or is there no concern there?
1: No, I'm not terribly concerned with it. They'll probably end up serving 10 years if, if they're good. I mean, people do lose on on um, their second time run. We saw an example of that in this last election. But the, the issue for me there is, do we want to give that heavy advantage of incumbency to a candidate based on the vote of the council or on the vote of the resident's? I'd rather that the, the residents had a, an opportunity to have the dialogue with the candidate directly to determine who they want leading the district for the next 10
0: years. Okay. Well, I appreciate you sharing your views on this, Pat. Um, I, we've asked uh, a pretty good amount of questions, and I'd love to know if you have any other closing thoughts here um, You know, about your viewpoint, maybe something we haven't touched on that you'd like to highlight or, or put more emphasis on.
1: Um, I think you've covered it pretty, uh, pretty much. Um, I, I would point out that it's interesting. Dave Cortese in 2005 penned a blog entry for San Jose Inside, where he advocated for the, the, a special election to replace Terry Gregory when he resigned. And um, he pointed out that it's because special interests run the government. And he thought it was important that people have the opportunity to have their voices heard. And that's what I and Citizens for Fiscal Responsibility and a lot of people that I know in San Jose are arguing for right now. Let the people be
0: heard. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Pat. I really appreciate you being on the show today and um, taking your time to share your views with us and our listeners.
1: Yeah, thank you, Joe. My pleasure.
2: Hi there, Ramona Guaragas here, co-founder and CEO of San Jose Spotlight. Our annual end-of-year fundraising campaign, NewsMatch, is underway. Now through December 31st, your donation will be matched dollar for dollar by NewsMatch sponsors such as the Hewlett Foundation and the Silicon Valley Community Foundation. For an independent nonprofit organization like us, this is a big deal and will help us deliver the kind of in-depth journalism you've come to expect. It's the kind of reporting that can make a real difference in our community and is worthy of your support. Donate today at SanJoseSpotlight.com. Thank you.
0: Are you looking to make a difference in San Jose? AARP, a nonprofit, nonpartisan organization dedicated to empowering people to choose how they live as they age, is looking for volunteers here in San Jose to advocate on services, programs, and policies that help make our community more livable for people of all ages and abilities. Learn more and apply to become an AARP San Jose local advocacy team volunteer at aarp.org sanjose San Jose. That's aarp.org sanjose San Jose. And now let's talk with Bill James, the chair of the Santa Clara County Democratic Party, who favors an appointment process. So, Bill, thanks for coming on to the Podlight. Welcome to the show.
2: Thank you, Joseph. Thank you for inviting me.
0: All right, let's jump right in with our first question, uh, kind of an open-ended one that gives you a chance to lay out your your viewpoint here. Why should the current council members, you know, the 10 council members – well, it's normally 10 council members and a mayor – uh, so that's what we're going to have choosing uh, these two appointees to fill Matt Mahan's seat and Sylvia Arena's seat. Why, why should the appointment process be the way to go? What do you view as the benefits to that arrangement?
2: Uh, thanks for the question, Joseph. Uh, first, I'd like to point out that the city charter sets out a couple of um uh, procedures that can be followed. In fact, the first one in Article 410 of the city charter is the process of appointment. And so I want to dispel any the idea that having the seats filled by appointment is anything other than the regular order or one of the regular options that are available to the council uh, to decide. What we see as the benefits of this process in this particular instance are several. First of all, the uh, Districts 10 and 8 would have more immediate representation, By a member who would be able to focus on the work of providing constituent services, paying attention to the interests of the district in the budget process, and just generally representing the districts rather than immediately spending the next nine months running for election. And uh, that's a benefit to be sure. Uh, Another significant benefit, which is not the only consideration, is the substantial savings. With the way that we do elections now, the projection is that the, re- that the election process could cost as upwards of $12 million, I think over $11 million if both races run to a runoff, which I think is likely. And at a time when the city is having a hard time making its budget and we have fears of a coming recession, it seems like the wrong time to spend $12 million of the general revenue uh, part of the budget on a special election when that can be avoided by filling the seats by appointment. And then finally, it's a question of what it means uh, to have democracy and to have the voters decide who's going to represent the district. We know that in the recent election in San Jose, in some of the council districts, the turnout was as low as 35%. And that was when the mayor's race was going on. Uh, If we have a special election just for the city council, it could be much less than that. And so a very small proportion of the voters might participate. And we know from previous elections that they might not be representative of the full diversity of the districts that are going to be represented. The Most recently, the, the fair election initiative was passed by voters in which voters expressed a, a distinct preference to have elections for these significant re, uh, seats to be held at a time when there's higher participation and a more representative electorate.
0: Certainly. And you make some good points there, Bill. Uh, I, I'd like to respond to one of them and then maybe we can move on to some of the other ones. Well, uh, a couple of things. I believe the city estimate was between seven and ten million dollars for running a special election for these two seats. You mentioned twelve million. Would that include potential runoff costs, or are using a different figure?
2: Well, I think it would be. Uh, the races are certain to go to a runoff. Uh, you know, in theory, they could be resolved in a primary election. But if you open up these vacancies uh, to a special election, there will be many candidates who will file, and uh, and as a result, that will split up the vote and and much more likely require. A, a runoff uh, to to resolve um, and so their estimates uh, i don't have the city clerk's most recent memo in front of me. I think the estimates were for something closer to eleven something if it worked, both races were to go to a runoff, and in any case, ten million dollars is one million dollar per council district, and I don't think any of the council members want to find a million dollars to cut in the budget as it affects their district
0: and then the idea about um lack of representation. I, I think it's an important point you made that turnout was pretty low as it tends to be in a midterm. We saw about 55% uh, turnout across the county of Santa Clara. And as you noted, uh, some fluctuation with some really low turnout in some districts in San Jose, some a little higher. Um, so certainly if if uh, special elections history shows us anything, it might be 20 to 30% turnout. And it could be a, a lower number of uh, people in the district. But um, you know, about 10,000 uh, people possibly max per district uh, would be like a likely number as an estimate. But certainly that's more people and more representation than just having the council members uh, and the and the mayor pick uh, the next representative. So, so how do you respond to the arguments from folks who believe there should be an election that say this is the role of the residents, like Mayor-elect Mahan is saying that this is the the role of residents uh, is to pick their representatives and, and, and robbing them of that is the wrong way to go.
2: Well, it, the response that I have is that robbing a proportion of them of it effectively when we know that some uh, uh, element of people and let's be clear. People don't vote in off-cycle, low-turnout special elections because they're busy. They're trying to survive. They're dealing with inflation. They're dealing with the challenges that the city council is supposed to be addressing for them. And so it's important to recognize and not judge that a lot of working people, a lot of young people, Um, A lot of communities of color, they're focused on surviving. So when you have a presidential election or a competitive gubernatorial election, they might become interested and come out and vote and express their preference. But if you have a low turnout election, they may not. So think of it this way, is the council elected by a broad electorate and the mayor elected by a broad electorate more representative uh, or less representative than than 10% of the electorate that might elect a council member in a 20% turnout election? We don't know who that 10% is, but based on the studies that were done prior to the fair election initiative, it, 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 we believe they would be less diverse and less young and therefore less representative of, of the, the districts and less likely to be responsive to the needs of those communities, which are, are great in terms of housing and opportunities. So it's, it's a question of who gets to be included and who gets to decide. We would never say, let's have an election where only people over 55 who own land get to vote and if the effect of having a special election with low turnout is to have an electorate that's more like that than the actual district then we should take that into consideration in deciding how to proceed interesting
0: but sir sir so you're worried about who's being excluded not the 10,000 or so potentially as a as a rough estimate that could get to vote but who's going to be left out i mean wouldn't Wouldn't they also all be left out in an appointment process, though?
2: Well, they wouldn't need to be left out. They shouldn't be left out. A well-designed appointment process would include them very carefully. And I think that the city council, all of them, will have a high incentive to make sure that those voices are expressed and heard, You know, to do the outreach, to make sure that all of the communities of interest within the districts are understood and heard, um, and then to make a selection that they feel will be of service to all of those communities. They have an incentive to do that. And so it's not like there won't be an opportunity for residents to be heard. There'll be an appointment process in which they will be consulted. And
0: that would possibly be done through some outreach or through council meetings and hearings and such like that. But it is, as you said, maybe hard to get folks who are busy and working multiple jobs, maybe even to come out uh, or to be engaged in some of these political processes. So I suppose it would be interesting to see how much representation can be you know, achieved through the outreach. Um, The the city of San Jose has typically held special elections to fill vacancies in these kinds of situations. I mean, are you concerned about changing the precedent? Why is it important to kind of make this change now, in your view, as opposed to doing it how it has been done uh, in the past when there's been vacancies, when someone moves on to another office in the middle of a term?
2: So I know that there are the instances that the city clerk has has outlined um, in her memo of uh, special elections being held to fill vacancies uh, on the city council. Uh, But, you know, I I dispute that it's really a change. Of course, as I mentioned earlier, the city charter includes appointment as the first option of in ways to fill vacancies on the city council and other cities in the area routinely fill vacancies uh, uh, by appointment for the full remainder of the term. In fact, San Mateo just announced a process to replace Gina Papin on their city council for the full remaining two terms of years of her term through a process of appointment. And the reason they do that is to save the money of a special election. It costs a lot of money, and and cities are have a hard time making their budget work, as San Jose, as San Jose does. So I don't think it's really should be considered a change. Um, now look look at what has changed though. The voters have expressed themselves as recently as this past June to move the mayor's election to align with the presidential election for the express purpose to increase the representativeness and level of participation of the electorate making those important choices. And I think that the same logic applies to these district uh, city council races, which is uh, by by having the election aligned with the presidential election, uh, there'll be more attention paid to it by a broader range of the electorate and more people will get to vote and get to have their preference expressed, not fewer. And then finally, I'll say that um, the the charter provides several ways to fill vacancies and it charges the city council with making the decision as to which of them is appropriate under the given circumstances. At a time when the city faces budget shortfalls and we have a potentially looming recession, saving $12 million is a pretty strong motivation, especially if the council can agree among themselves on a process that is inclusive and transparent and gives each of them uh, a full opportunity to have a say in and who represents uh, the residents of of these districts.
0: You make a good point, Bill, with the uh, with the shift to mayoral elections moving to presidential years. Certainly, yeah, uh, the motivation is to draw much more turnout, uh, especially against uh, you know in in areas where uh, turnout has been lower. I mean, we've written and reported about that at San Jose Spotlight uh, and and many other outlets that have studied turnout have uh, looked at the same idea, right? So the promise from the people who backed that change, which is passed by voters is that indeed thousands of more votes could come out in San Jose elections. So that point is well taken. But let, let's let's talk about how uh, those changes and and how an appointment process could interplay. If incumbents in general as a rule have an easier time getting uh, reelected, it doesn't always happen, but as we saw with Maya Esparza, but they typically have an easier time getting reelected. So whether the council ends up choosing an appointee for these seats or whether there is a special election, are you concerned that those who take those seats uh, could end up serving much longer than just the remaining two year or even year and a half long term, uh, because then at the, at that point you're talking about possibly an appointee going on to serve you know two to six to ten years uh, in this spot, uh, and all the while they never had an election up front to to be chosen uh, the first time around.
2: So I understand the 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 concern. Of course, in this situation. the the reality of modern elections is that the election we're talking about, the regular election of of 2024, it effectively has started. Some candidates are already announcing for these seats and for other even-numbered council seats. And as a practical matter, I believe the fundraising period for this election because of the March 2024 primary date will begin in August or September of 2023. That's nine months. And so it's not like Someone's going to get appointed and have a long runtime before they have to be accountable to the voters. A similar thing happened uh, in District Four when uh, Min uh, Man Nguyen was re- appointed in 2015. He was replaced in 2016 by Lon Deep. And so, if I think the, if the appointed members do a good job they'll be successful in convincing voters to elect them in the regular election. And if they fail to do that, then they won't be, and someone else will get elected. Okay, so you think the
0: system will kind of, you know, police
2: itself, basically? It seems like that's what happened in the District 4, example.
0: Um, And let's go to another question about, um, you know, about the balance of power on the council. So, you know, currently with four new council members just being elected this year, um, whoever wins these other two remaining seats, now that Mayan is mayor and uh, Sylvia Arenas will be leaving the council, the, the power could swing uh, in one direction based on who ends up in these seats, whether it might be back towards San Jose's um, you know, business-backed interests, which have had strong uh, influence over San Jose politics, or the progressive-type majority that we're seeing now. Um, some folks have said, including our other guest, Pat Waite, have said that you know the the concern is that without an election, special interest groups might be able to have too much influence over who gets these seats. so how how would you reassure voters who are concerned about special interest groups pressuring the current council members to pick someone that's favorable to them as opposed to maybe who's best for the district?
2: Well, uh, the first thing I'd like to observe is that special interests have a lot to say during special elections as well. They're low participation elections, They're very sophisticated actors with a lot of money. And they're going to target the folks that they think they can get to turn out in in the low turnout election and try to influence their vote. So I think that we have to be concerned about special interests um, in either a special election context or in an appointment process. The good thing about an appointment process is that all the council members are accountable to the electorate. Each of them has a constituency that will hold them accountable if they're not careful to adopt a process that is transparent and fair and, that, and, and to reach a result that represents these districts and serve the city uh, well. And so I think it's uh, that's their accountability to their own constituents will cause the council members to pay attention to their own interest by having a fair process. And a fair process should include transparency in terms of which interests are bringing uh, uh, voices are being heard. Now, business interests are legitimate interests, as are labor interests, and they should have an opportunity uh, to participate in the process and express their preferences and concerns. And I'm sure that any process the City Council adopts um, will, will meet that standard.
0: Well, those are most of the questions I wanted to ask you today, Bill. Is there anything that I've skipped over that you'd like to highlight or put a little more attention on regarding this issue of these two open seats?
2: So, the one thing uh, that we didn't happen to, to discuss yet today is, is the fact that in addition to representing their individual district and being accountable to the voters of their district, I, I find it interesting the charter language that council members will be elected by district. It doesn't say that they'll represent a district. In fact, it, it implies that each of them is elected by a district to be a co-equal member of the San Jose City Council each of them has an interest and an obligation they have a, they have a duty to the whole city and to each other to work together to solve the problems of the city so many of the things uh, challenges that confront the city as with any city require a building of consensus a sharing of burden and if each only parochially cared about their own district they um they wouldn't be able to run the city they wouldn't be able to make good decisions for the city so i don't think it's uh, valid to express the concern that the, or to suggest that the city council members, because they're from other districts, won't be able to, repre- to choose good representatives for Districts 8 and District 10. In fact, of the people in the city, they have among the highest interest and incentive to make sure that strong candidates who are well representative of those districts and with whom they can work to solve problems uh, will be um, uh, elected uh, in, or, or will, will take these seats either through appointment or election. Uh, so I think that I have confidence. I don't agree with all the city councilors on every issue or position that they take. I don't. I don't. I'm not aligned with all of the members, but I can't think of a single one that I wouldn't believe would do their best to make good choices for the residents of District Eight and District Ten, just as they would want the other council members to make uh, take their district into consideration if they were filling a vacancy uh, for their district. And so, you know, we have council members who are elected by the people. They all owe a duty to the city, and I think we could trust them to make a good choice through an appointment process.
0: Okay, Bill. Well, we appreciate your input on this, and thanks so much for sharing your views uh, on this tough issue. And I guess we'll have to wait and see what the council decides in the upcoming process, which will get going uh, starting with the council meetings next month. So thank you again for your time today, Bill. We really appreciate having you on. Thank you for the opportunity to, to share my views. That's it for this episode of The Podlight, a podcast produced by San Jose Spotlight. I'm senior reporter Joseph Jiha. Thanks for listening and see you next time.